You want to hear about a fun show with demons and witches? Stay tuned. Hoot! Good day, and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation, storytelling, and owls. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. <laughs> you gotta stop. Okay, like, I will stop. <laughs> I, I've been practicing a lot. And today we're discussing the new show, The Owl House, created by Dana Terrace. <laughs> it's currently starring Hootie. Just Hootie, no other characters. Solo Hootie. <laughs> Uh, if you are not watching it, it's on, I guess at the time we're recording it, it's currently airing in the Disney Channel, but the season will probably be done by the time you listen to this. Um, so you can catch it on the Disney Channel app or it reruns or presumably at some point on Disney Plus as everything eventually winds up. Usually after the season's over, it goes to the plus. Well, if the season is over, it might be on the plus. Move it to the plus. Sounds like a just... An ancient platitude about how things work. If the season is over, it might be on the plus. I just want an animated short about like the little trolls and fairies and demons behind the scenes that make the delivery of all these things to the different media. It's like, no, no, that doesn't go to Disney now. It goes to Disney Plus. Like they're like this. That way they could explain why Disney Plus had so many problems at the rollout. I mean, you know they're going to go meta at some point, and one episode of One Day at Disney is just going to be about people who make Disney Plus. (laughs) It's our Disney Plus show about how we make Disney Plus, and the Ouroboros is complete. (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about the Owl House. That's that's why we're here. That's what we came to discuss. Uh, Which is... Another wonderful show on Disney Channel. Uh, kind of, we've talked a couple times. I want to say this season, but no one knows what our season is. Uh, the last year <laughs> or so, uh, probably about magical girl adventures and uh, how they're great, mostly, uh, and they're in fashion, and that's wonderful. And we're living for it. And the Owl House is another show kind of in that big box. And I don't want to make it a small box because you can't say that all these shows keep on the Age of Wonder Beasts, um, Amphibia, Owl House are like all the same. No, not at all. They're all very different shows, but you can draw a very large box around them and say there are similarities. Correct. I mean, you would have to put something like Alice in Wonderland you know, in the same box. So it's, again, it's an expansive, large box. Time Lord technology box. Bigger on the inside. <laughs> There's so much depth here. Yeah. Uh, so the Owl House, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Because I think they announced it with, like, some art a number of years ago now. I think they knew they had, like, a gap in Disney Channel programming coming up. It's, like, right when, like... Gravity Falls and it ended in Star versus the Forces of Evil was ending. It's like the only real current thing they had going that wasn't ending at the time was DuckTales. And like, I we- think Tangled just ended as well. Oh, or yeah. Rapunzel's Tangled Adventures. I forgot about that. I've heard it's excellent. I mean, we've talked about 
the first episode. We watched the first episode, and then since then, I haven't had time to watch the rest of it. But now that it's all going to be on the plus. Yeah. So they were announcing shows saying they're coming to let people know, like, there won't be a gap forever. Uh, And I think the Owl House was one of those. And first season is great. End of podcast episode. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. (laughs) That was easy. Oh, I wish they were all that easy. (laughs) It's a mini episode. Mini-sode? So we have... I don't know, Chris, do you want to, what What do you feel about the Owl House before you came into it? What do you feel about it at the beginning of the show? What's this show? Oh, there are many questions that you just asked. Um, <laughs> oh, I was interested in the show. I saw a lot of things being announced around the same time that my family was obsessed with Amphibia. So I was like, oh, great. Another show that's somewhat similar to amphibia in that that sense you know uh, a girl from the modern world ending up in a magical whimsical fantasy based realm great i want that um and while amphibia does have magic it doesn't have magic in the same way that let me see in the same way that amphibia does because um Owl House is a little bit more like Harry Potter fan fan base would really enjoy the Owl House. Mm -hmm. You know, owls in general, if you talk about magic because of Harry Potter, that's where your brain goes like owls and magic. Oh, the. The postman of of the magic world, yes. You don't go to the Guardians of Gahul? I do not, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. <laughs> I do not, personally. I'm sure some may. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely see the Harry Potter overlap. It's a show in a world that embraces things that are dark and scary, but also, like, simultaneously cute things. And I think this is a higher percentage of dark and scary things than cute things. Uh, but it makes you not afraid of the scary things either. And I think it goes, I was reading a couple of interviews, um, with Dana Terrace who created the show about her view about having this world actually be scary. So let scary things be scary. Let, um, the fearful things be fearful, you know, that things that 10-year-olds watch should be what they really are. You know, don't pull any punches. Make it freaky and scary if that is truly freaky and scary, um, which I appreciate. So my 7-year-old, Jack, um, when we watched the first episode together, he was generally frightened um and i asked him what he thought and he's like that was a lot of fun i enjoyed it hmm. can we watch something else <laughs> um, <laughs> so he was not hip to a second episode but um yeah he enjoyed it hmm. we we talked about it he thought it was funny and he talked about it with um my wife the other day he was he remembered the whole plot 
um, I brought it up and he's like, oh, that was this one. And it had this and he remembered everything about it. Hmm. It's a good so nibble it, watch it, show for him then. Yeah, yeah. Wait till he's done if being he scared to, and then watch the next one. Exactly, exactly. You, we have to do that sometimes. <laughs> but it's it's like a nice... It's scarier than Amphibia in a, in a weird way. And it's less frenetic than Star versus the Forces of Evil. Mm-hmm. In terms of the comedy and the timing. So it's, it lands itself somewhere in the middle of that. Yeah. For those of you keeping score of like Disney fantasy shows, like where's, where does this one go? I, I mean, I also like the, how other the world is compared to some of the other shows. Like the other shows have similar ideas to the human world and have a lot of same things. And this show is just like completely unabashedly like humans are crazy. How crazy <laughs> are these like googly eyeglasses? What a mythical artifact. Uh, <laughs> and I really, I'm a sucker for that. Mm. I love things where it treats the real world as fantasy and not the other way around. Yeah, that we're the remarkable weird stuff. Yeah. And stuff that's it's like the it's like the Adams family, like we are the crazy ones. Mm-hmm. And the Adams family are the only normal people, the normy normal healthy folk. Adams family. Yes, that's a good analog for what this show represents. It's the crazy people saying everyone else is crazy. No, it's the children mm-hmm. who are wrong. And, and that's a good time. So what do we we follow loose in this, which right away I'm like, yes, Latina main character in a fantasy world. Let's go. I'm here for it. We don't get a lot of Latinos or Latinx folk as main characters. Um, I mean, we get, did get Marco in Star versus the you know forces of evil. So, but. Two does not a pattern make. <laughs> <laughs> two is just a good start to pattern. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I was in love there and her, the fact that her mom, you know, goes into Spanglish back and forth, you know, code switching. It's like, yes, this is great. Um, I, I was super excited about Luz. And then she is the strange one at her school. Um <laughs> She is the one we we open. The first thing we see is <laughs> her book report come to life of her describing her, her favorite um, current book series. Um, and there's a giant snake, which is right out of Chamber of Secrets, you know, and then being vanquished. And, oh, you found out that my weakness was dying. <laughs> I can't remember what that line is. Like, my only weakness, death. <laughs> and the, and the snake dies. And it turns out that she has a real snake that's attacking her action figure um, <laughs> at, for her book report. Which, leave it to her, she wants the authenticity. So she brings in a real snake, but still an action figure. And doesn't see how inappropriate it might be to bring in a snake to school. 
and not just a snake because it turns out that other snakes got loose. She's like, oh, that's where the spare spare snakes went. <laughs> like she bought brought spare snakes with her to school for this book report. Um, well, she's brought into, the, of course, the principal's office to explain herself. And it's like, no, you are you're wrong. You need to get back, uh, find your place and get back into order. And she's going to be sent to camp mm-hmm. for getting herself back in the box that she's supposed to be in. So it's interesting that we talked about fitting this show in a box (laughs) (laughs) and use that metaphor. No box can hold her or the show. (laughs) And not only is Luz Latina, but she's also like a very specific, like fan of magical girl stories, like in real life, little girl. She's a fan of fantasy, magical girl stories as you would see that person in real life. Does that make sense now? Try one more time. I think, <laughs> I think you were almost there, and I'm almost there with you. So uh, she's the kind of person who, if she'd grown up in the 90s, would be a fan of also like Sailor Moon and Cardcaptor Sakura, and like these oh, sure. stories about girls who at the time in like the 90s was mostly a Japanese thing because... American cartoons hadn't caught up yet um, of girls who had magical powers and it was up to them to like solve the thing. And they had to balance their real life school drama with their like magical adventure drama. And she does talk about anime at one point mm-hmm. too. Luce does. She's got her cat so. hoodie, which I love. I want it. Oh, that is a great hoodie. Meow. I think like a year ago, Jack would be all over that hoodie, but now he has a dragon slash dinosaur one so Mm. he's cool he's fine (laughs) he doesn't need another one (laughs) not yet give it a few years i know i know (laughs) uh so she's a very specific kind of person and a character to have as you said she's a strange one at school which i think speaks to all the people like Luz who may be in school watching the show going i'm the weird one and seen themselves in this character. Like right away, mm-hmm. immediately. And it also, that very first scene, we set up who Luce is. We set up the world of the show itself because here's this moment of this, this witch fighting a giant snake. And it looks like a serious thing. And then it turns it on its head because the wand turns into basically a machine gun zapper. Like, eat this or something. I can't remember what the line is. And then she fires it at the snake. And the snake has a funny line and dies. And you're like, okay, I see. Yes, it's high fantasy, but it's also high comedy. And then it um, cuts to loose in the principal's office and the snake biting the action figure. (laughs) So magical. But she's not valued in her own world, and nor does her mom value, and so she sends her to camp. But a funny thing happens on the way to camp. It does. It does. She um, feels ready to do what's expected of her. And 
throw out her book. She throws it in the trash. Um, I feel like I've been in Lucy's shoes in terms of here, take these toys. Fine. I'll be the grown up. I'll get in the box. Like I've been, I'm not going to cry about it, but I, I mm. still do feel a little bit of hurt about like giving away certain things because I was told that I could no longer have them. Um, at one point, uh, I remember being quoted the Bible verse of when I was a child, I had childish things, but now that I'm a man, I will do manly things like read this book about God or, or different things. So that often got quoted like, so give up your Star Wars toys, Chris. Like that's basically what it is. That's what this, the Bible is telling you to stop playing with toys and stop talking about cartoons. That sounds like a person who knows just key things that they want to quote at you to get their way and manipulate you with that. With no commentary on the actual thing itself. So then, uh, now I'm 40 years old, and I own toys again, and I have a podcast about animation. So that did not keep very well. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to just sip my sip my coffee and be, <laughs> give a cheers to that, that moment in my life. That's how I know you're a writer. It's 7.15 and you're drinking iced coffee. PM, 7.15 PM. I really shouldn't be, but I think we still are going to do our taxes tonight. Yay, adulthood. Um, so speaking of adulthood and... Escaping it. Be, and escaping it. So she throws away the book, which is hard for her. And she stands there like, yes, I'm going to do what's expected of me by my from my parent. I'm going to do this. And then she realizes, I can't do that. I want to be myself. It's important to me. She turns around. The book's gone. Mm -hmm. It's been stolen by a teeny little owl um, who's stealing stuff from the trash and running off with it. And she follows the owl to this ramshackle house, has a half-second real world, should I go in this house? Yes, that bird has my book. (laughs) moment goes in after it and we realize that something magical has happened a flash of light magic and she seems to be living her every fantasy and as you realize throughout the first episode it's basically just the fantasy world version of what she did in the first five minutes of the episode of she meets some cool people and she's going to help them with her quest like she's always wanted but turns out they're the weirdos in their world and they need to be sent to the conformatorium for liking strange things. And they have to go meet Warden. What's the warden's name? A warden. Of the conformatorium, uh, which is the fantasy world equivalent of the principal of the, <laughs> the school to be told that they right. don't conform. And she gets to have that meaningful victory that's emotionally satisfying. Like, aha, take that warden. I can be strange with all my strange friends and we're stronger than you. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And we will have what's important to us, even though you can't see the worth of it. Yeah. And it's a nice self-contained first episode. And if you only watch that first episode, that's fine. You should watch more, but that's also fine. Right. You should watch more, but I'm saying story-wise, you'll be fine. 
I have definitely been feeling like serialized out. So I was glad that a pilot could just exist as itself and be a great, funny introduction to the world and characters. And it doesn't have to be part of something bigger. I'm like more satisfied the more I watch and we don't revisit things from the first episode. That's great. I'm into it. I think, yeah, I, I think that there's been, um, DuckTales does this really well in terms of, hey, there's a larger story, but we're not going to bother you with it every single episode. Yes, there's continuity, but if you just came in on this one, you're in for a laugh. Like, you'll get more out of it if you've been watching, but if not, eh, you're not going to get hurt by it. Um, and to know that Dana Terrace also wrote on DuckTales and Gravity Falls, so... Um, it makes so much sense when you see all three of these together. You're like, ah, yes, <laughs> you did those things. Um, and then the the other thing that is different. You okay? Okay. The other thing that's that's different about it is the the time. So we've, we've talked in the past on usually in our episodes where we go through all the new shows of the season, how there are the 10 minute shows, the 22 minute shows, the 40 minute shows. And this is in that 20 minute shows. It doesn't break it up into the two 10 minute stories like you would expect a show like this. Like Amphibia is two 10 minutes. Um, Star versus the Forces of Evil was two 10 minutes. And that's fine because it fits the pace of those worlds and what they're going after. And this one, I think, is a slower pace, more methodical, things have room to breathe kind of show. Yeah. Yeah. The revelations grow a little bit more. You're expecting more of the world. It's not as frenetic. Um, I'm especially thinking in the second episode, you... I feel like the second episode is kind of the... The continue. What am I trying to say? Let me let me explain it this way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think about what I'm going to say and then say it. With a lot of fantasy world shows or movies or media, you often have that one character who stands in for the audience, right? So. You're watching it and you say, hey, I can understand the world because of that character. And sometimes it's the main character and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's Webby from DuckTales. You know, she's the the analog for the audience member. And in that, the audience members are people who know everything about Huey, Dewey and Louie and the Duck family and love this and are out for it and just want everyone to be happy and root for the adventure like that's the audience for that in this one yes we as the audience members generally for our house we're the people who love fantasy the outcasts the the strange ones the people who are different but we also have certain expectations for how these worlds work and so the first episode of our house is a lot about how those expectations um are paid off and how loose is allowed to be who she is and it's saying yes you are a valued person and you can be a valued person and you have worth 
And the second episode goes a little further to say, guess what? Everything you expected about fantasy worlds is wrong, though. (laughs) So, yes, you're right about who you are as being important and valued and full of worth. But everything you've expected is totally wrong. Yeah. Like, like this is all, all your expectations of how this is going to plan out is, is incorrect. It's like Ray meeting Luke Skywalker. That's a good way to put it. Yes. Because Ida still lives a normal, regular life where she has to make money and maintain a house. (laughs) She can't just drop everything and teach Luz how to be a witch. And becoming a witch is not like you would expect it in a book. There are different rules and, you know, there aren't robes and pointy hats. And I mean, there are schools, but, you know, it's like it's not what you would expect it to be. Like all your Harry Potter fantasy world, all these other expectations. It's not like that. This is the boiling aisles. Things work differently here. I mean, it's it's built on the body of a decomposing titan. I mean, it's 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 a different world entirely. Yeah, I'm excited to. I don't think that every show needs to have world building, and I'm totally okay if it never builds a world. But I also am like interested enough in this world. Like, tell me more about this decomposing titan. Like, are there <laughs> other decomposing titans? Are there other isles of boil? I don't know. Acid Isles. <laughs> I did appreciate oh, in one interview that I read. Uh, they talked about that the hardest thing about world building and creating the world was actually making a decision for how the rules worked. Because they knew that once they made the decision, that was the decision. And then it would have to go further. You know, they'd have to hold on to that. And that would now be a rule for how things worked in this world. Yeah. It's hard to just wing those. Oh, nice. There's a, you, you couldn't see it audience, but there's a finger point of like, Hey, <laughs> <clears throat> so what else, what else about loose and the world and Ida, the owl lady and the owl house itself. It's all so strange still. Like I'm at this point in recording, I'm on episode eight, which I think is the current episode out of 10 in the season. Uh, So we haven't seen the end yet. You probably have listener. Um, And I just love how specific they all are because Ida is the most powerful witch in the boiling aisles, but she's also like the most wanted and hated and despised and, simultaneously kind of like lazy and doesn't do anything with her power. And you have King the demon who's supposedly like this fearsome King of demons, uh, but he's like a cute cuddly creature. And you have the actual owl house who I can't decide if that's a character or not. I think that's growing into more of a character with Hootie, the door person. Yeah. And I don't know if Hootie wants things. Hootie wants to be part of things. That's what Hootie wants. Hootie's like, in an episode of Simpsons, if like halfway in Lenny shows up, it's like, I want to be part of this one. They go, go away, Lenny. 
Like that's that's Hootie. Like you're that's a character and I value, but you're not actually part of the story. And it's fun to tell you you're not part of the story. <laughs> and that's your thing. Yeah. <laughs> so where do we think that things are going from if we just look at the first episode, what are the things that are built in there that we think have to be resolved or or have opportunity? What are the places of possibility in that first episode? Well, we have a a, a show taking clock that's loses at a summer camp, supposedly. And I'm willing to suspend disbelief that the camp never called mom and said, like, she never showed up, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but she texts <laughs> at the end of the first episode, like, I'm going to have a great time at camp. So we know mom knows that she's there. She can communicate with the human world still somehow. So at some point, summer camp, air quotes, needs to end. And I don't know what that means. Will it be just the end of the show, like Gravity Falls style? Like, it's the end of summer and we're going home now. Um, or is it hmm. going to be drama and conflict that they stir up in the show of like summer camp's over, but Luz doesn't want to end her time in the boiling aisles and go home. Hmm. There has to be some kind of resolution between Luz and her mother, though. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's something just waiting to happen. She has to understand who her daughter is in some way and either accept or reject it. Mm -hmm. And this feels like a show that wouldn't shy away from the rejection angle. At least for a while. Yeah. Um, Reject her and then Luce goes back and just chooses that world where people accept her for who she is. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of, I, I know the mother is going to be important in the end. I think there's a few other elements that are introduced throughout season one that are kind of semi recurring and I expect them to come back and be part of something bigger eventually. Um, there are other new characters we introduced to from like the local witch school. And there's loses rival slash not quite friend person. Whose name I can't remember. I'm doing really good at names today. <laughs> uh, and we're eventually introduced to Ida's sister as well. And I don't want to spoil it if you haven't watched Owl House. Uh, but Ida's sister is another important character. It seems to know a lot of things. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not as far as you are. but Well, you have a magical journey ahead of you. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see where things are headed. Um, I think I'm three episodes in. Um, and I'm, I'm devouring it up. And I want to rewatch all them already because they're just super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking forward to the adventure, I think. I'm, I want Luz to actually become some kind of witch, even though it's apparently going to be harder for her to do magic the, quote, right way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
is that that second episode of called uh, Witches Before Wizards, which I just love that title. <laughs> Not as much as the pilot episode or the, the first episode, A Lion, Witch, and a Warden. This side note before you get to your point. Yes, all the titles of the episodes are excellent. I love they're all like they fit the cadence of something. You know what's referencing, but it's like its own thing. Uh, I love Hootie's Moving Hassle. Oh, I haven't even watched that episode yet. And I saw that title. I'm like, I cannot wait for that. <laughs> Just as a title, like, oh, there's no better way to reference Hal's Moving Castle than Hootie's Moving Hassle. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I just, I wanted to skip to that. I'm like, be, just because of the title. So brilliant. It takes a lot for me to respect um, wordplay. I, I, I like a good wordplay, but good wordplay is so hard. And I just have to commend the good wordplay of this show and the meta about it. Because I think something ab- about the show, too, is that it's it's referencing... But it's not referencing necessarily directly, but it knows that you know that these other things exist about, um, especially about witches and wizards and like so much of our current, I don't even want to say understanding, but so, so much of our current imagination has been influenced by a decade of one particular wizard and his friends and one particular definition of magic for so long that it's hard to change that. So you either have to out and out reject it or celebrate reference and go against it in a different loving way Mm -hmm. or ignore it, which I'm glad that they're not ignoring it. I'm glad that they're like, yes, we, we know that that exists too. We know we've heard of that. We've we've lived from out from under rocks and we are here present in a world where we've lived in the same media understanding as you have. But this is different still. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I think one of the um, the great moments of that is so we see this owl, right? We we see the owl stealing the trash. So one, you get the yes, owls are owls are trash birds. <laughs> and then you get the the second half of that where oh, the owl is the magical creature friend, right? And then Ida it lands on the staff and Ida twirls it and it goes back onto her staff and you're like, "Oh, okay, no, it's not even a real thing. It's not like a pet." And it's not a thing like that. It's a, it's a staff that comes to life and she sends out. Yeah, it's like a little familiar. She has a lot of owl-themed things going on in her life, which makes you wonder, did she have the owl house first or was she the owl lady first? Is it just a lot of question owls? Question marks. Lots of, lots of questions. So many questions. That'll never get answered. And that's okay. Because it's just kooky. I- I do just love that suitcase with the big old eye, the owl eye that just flips open. Yeah, the the interdimensional portal, whatever it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to that coming back a lot more. 
because it would have to, I feel. Yeah, if they go between worlds, I'd hope so. <laughs> so what else have you been noticing through through this show? Hmm. Mm, I mean, About I love the way it tell. Sorry, go ahead. I love King. Um, did you know that he was originally going to have a human body? <laughs> no, I did not know that. Yeah, he was originally going to have like a big, massive human body. And they just made him cute instead. Yeah. I mean, I think partly why I love King is not just because of who he is as a character and how he's delusional, but how he fits into the story and that he's also generally in many ways this naive character who has a lot to learn much like loose but he doesn't think that he has a lot to learn hmm he's very overly confident but then the things that he does know a lot about like demons he is the teacher character so he kind of goes back and forth between someone who's a fellow student and someone who's an occasional teacher it's a nice hmm. dynamic Is that a thinker? Yeah, I'm thinking about that. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more because he's, he does, there's the, what is that show? Disenchantment, mm, mm-hmm. which has a, a small demon character who's like cute and a cat. And now we have like a dog-like demon character. Which is just interesting to see different things matching in that way. It's demons as pets. It's it. I would watch that spinoff as well. Pet demons. Just Lucy and King, Night on the Town. <laughs> now, um, what what else have you noticed about the way that Owl House tells its stories that that has surprised yours different from? some of the other shows that we've noticed. I know we've talked a lot about um, tempo and timing. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you've noticed that's different in particular? I mean, just in terms of uh, how Luz operates outside of the rest of the magical magical journal, you know, those magical journal stories Uh, outside of the magical (laughs) girl box um, loses the freedom to, not be good at balancing her magical duties and her personal life at all. And just has room to not be perfect. And she's not trying to be either, which I think is nice and refreshing. Cause I think a lot of times in the, the magical girl genre, it's either a, a main character is perfect at everything. Or I think in the case of some of the more recent American editions, uh, like amphibia, uh, a girl realizing that she over the course of the story of the show is that she's not perfect at everything. Hmm. And there are some flaws there that are still essential good things about her. Yeah, exactly. But Luz is just no baseline of perfection, just <laughs> random nerd girl stuck in living out her fantasy, literally, which is everything she wants, but doesn't behave anything like the characters in the books and stories that she loves. But also neither does the world. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. 
it's it's just nice and refreshing in how they approach the story in the world. <clears throat> so it, it is interesting just how down to earth, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it takes everything. I, I appreciate it, especially in the sec- second episode, how you immediately give Luce uh, a rebellion against Ida, like right away. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not even about. It doesn't even take time to exist. <laughs> it's you're not. You're not who I think you are. You're not letting me do what I think I should be allowed to do. I'm going to do this and follow this path because this is the way it's supposed to look. Yeah. And I, I don't trust you. This show says a lot about expectations pretty constantly. Mm. So I guess in that way, it's a good teaching tool too. I feel probably each episode so far has been about either expecting how situation's going to go just based on how you want it to go based on fantasy or previous experience or subverting expectations that even a previous episode set up of like you expect this story to go this way because these are the people involved but actually are they the same people involved and not in like a doppelganger way but just getting to know the depths of people more mm-hmm. this is what's really there this is what you think this is what's really there mm-hmm. get out of the <laughs> get out of the fantasy and look at what's really there yeah like that puppeteer character that was terrifying too like that was i do love the terrifying monsters i was reading that i guess the writer's room just has all kinds of books on spells and magic and monsters and just pulling stuff from like good for you going mike mignola style like let's pick the random really crazy obscure things and make them frightening and weird it's not just gonna be vampires and wizards yeah Let's let's get weird monsters in here. Mm -hmm. And they do. uh, The background gags are like Simpsons level weird and perfect. There was one episode where they're at the market and one of the background gags is a store that's called just the skulls exclamation point. (laughs) Like (laughs) Fruity Pebbles, like just one of the series. One of the series has like a just the marshmallows is it lucky charms i think it's probably lucky charms yes like a lucky charms just the marshmallows edition but the concept for the background gag being it's just the skulls of the bones the rest of the skeletons are gone and the rest of the people too yeah like this is this is the good part we're celebrating just the skulls like okay which is basically the seinfeld top of the muffin (laughs) show so yeah It's, it's just the skulls jerry (laughs) <laughs> what if i want more you can't it's just skulls <laughs> oh man i need to watch the background more um <laughs> and i it, it does remind me to bring it to something that we we just recently discussed with those creators is when we we're talking about harvey girls forever uh their cat their world of Casper, which was, hey, let's make the Casper world actually be weird and feel creepy and wrong and strange and go for it. It's like, yeah, we don't have to kid it up because kids will be fine. It's you go the animation style and it will help, you know, help things. Yeah, the thing thinking that go ahead. uh, The things that I think that creators who are our age are a little bit older 
remember is the stuff that's not sanitized from their youth. The things that are sanitized and like air quotes, kid friendly, don't have a long lasting pop cultureness to them. Right. So the things that aren't are. sanitized stick around because they celebrate being weird and original. Like our never ending stories or our labyrinths, dark crystal, like those. I mean, maybe for your generation. Yes. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well played. Well played. I do agree with that. One. Not for me, but I do agree with what you're saying. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Not in a rude way, mostly. Yes, you must respect your elders. <laughs> Even though they're not that much eld. Or... <laughs> wow. Uh, is there anything else you have noticed about the Owl House that you want to share? I, I'm really excited to be tracking my own expectations with Luz. Like, I, I feel like I'm right along with her. Um, and I think the writers got me in that second episode because when she found the room full of, like, here are all the wizard robes and the wizard hats. And I was like, okay, maybe that maybe I was wrong about this world. Maybe there is more familiar stuff. And then the second later, I caught myself like, no, no, some this is, no. <laughs> some This is going to be taken away like this is not that kind of show you don't get um when wendy malick on a show that is totally expected like she's not the character she's not the the performer to play a character where everything's going to be what you expect it's just not going to happen and what else has she done before um wendy malick she is bojack's Mother. Ah, uh, yeah, she is. Yeah. She she is Pacha's wife. Um, if we're talking animation, she's also in Hot in Cleveland, which I was so excited uh, about that. I think I've watched... I've watched multiple seasons of that show, <laughs> mostly because of her. And Betty White playing against type. Like, th- those two things were about it. That's about expectations. Wow, she's been in so many things. Respect. I'm not going to share them now, because it's a really long resume. <laughs> we can't be a podcast just reading Wendy Malick's resume. But if you feel Although, like we should, tweet at WG Animated. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be a whole other podcast. Hello, and welcome to Wendy Malick's resume. <laughs> Today, yeah, the Emperor's New Groove. Um, now, I think the moment that Ida opened her mouth, I knew that this was a different show. Because she brings... She is sarcastic in a lovable, weird way where you believe everything she's saying and distrust everything she's saying at the same time. Like you feel good about everything she's saying 
And then you know, like, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop the whole time she's speaking. Mm -hmm. Like, you're just waiting for it. Because, like, she's selfish, but Luz is included in her circle of selfishness, generally. Right. And I don't know what it is, but it's like... it's, It's not just her tone, and it's not just her delivery... There's something inherent in Wendy Malick's voice that's just pure truthfulness, authenticity, but sarcasm. I I don't know what it is. It's like, I I, I don't even have a good metaphor for it. I I can't even describe it. Hmm. But... It even happens in Emperor's New Groove. Like, here's the first pregnant woman in Disney history on screen. And she, you know that she has her own plan for things. You know she's not just some sweet woman at home. Like, it gives her an edge. It gives her something of herself. It gives her power automatically. And it's it's her throwaway lines too. Like Isma knocks something over, and she says, "Oh no, let let me pick that up for you." <laughs> like, like you feel like everything in there. You feel her honesty through her sarcasm. I guess that's what it is. She is authentically expressing her true emotions through her tone and sarcasm. Maybe that's what it is. There's your answer, Fishbulb. Thank you for getting us there. I do my little bit. I edit. I just edit the Chris thoughts. Yeah, it, I need an editor. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to say about this? About things you've noticed? Uh, I like it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I can't wait to watch more. So other than watching more, uh, do you have a favorite thing so far? Wendy Malick. Just honest. Just <laughs> Wendy Malick. <laughs> I mean, that's a good I, favorite thing. <clears throat> that's just just that performance. I think I, I don't have a specific thing because it's everything that she said. There's a moment in the second episode where... She's going after Luce, and I can't even remember the line, but it was just the delivery of her realizing that the wizard, you know, she's of what's happening and where Luce is going. And it's just like you sense that she understands that Luce is in danger and wants to save her, but is also totally annoyed that she has to go after her. <laughs> it's just so well done. Mm-hmm. What about for you? Uh, I love in the first episode, there's a moment of. <sighs> What I'm calling good dramaturgy, but it's really just good writing in general with, within the, the bounds of the world that they've built. Because uh, the whole MacGuffin of the first episode is they're trying to get this crown that belongs to King that's been confiscated. And when he gets it back, it gives him his power. And they also established that these people steal things from the human realm and call them important. And so when they actually get to the crown, it turns out to be like a paper Burger King crown. You're like, That's perfect. Of course that's what it is. Everyone in the audience is going to recognize exactly what that is and how stupid it is. But also that children like King love this thing. 
<laughs> right. It has so much value. It is emotional power, even if it doesn't have literal physical power like they tell Luce that it does when she goes after it. So that's your favorite thing. That is my favorite thing so far. I know it's in the first episode, but it sets a really high bar. There's other great things. Uh, <laughs> it's just a good high bar to start from. <clears throat> yeah, I was so tracky with Luce at that moment, though. Like the writer brain, it shut off. I was like, what? Like <laughs> this? This is what you're after? And you just don't see it coming. It's mad. At all. It's great. It's great. Because everything has been so magic then. And then she walks through this thing. And then it's like, oh. <sighs> and I just love the little crown that he gets at the end of that episode, though. Dink. Dink. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, thank you, Dana, for the show and letting us watch it as audience members. I'm so glad that Disney said yes to you. It's the magic that happens. Some magic. <clears throat> Should we talk about homework time now? Let's. For next time, your homework is to watch the first episode of The Rocketeer available on uh, the Disney Channel app, which is two shorts, First Flight and Pilot Error. Uh, we'll be talking about them next time. As always, we want to say thank you to Nigel Cortino, our engineer, and thank you to Jacob Reed for our theme music. You can find us on Twitter at WG Animated uh, and find all of our show notes and links to anything interesting on writersgetanimated.podbean.com. I feel like we should have a hootie voice, but... I think I hurt my voice doing it at the beginning. Oh, did you? <laughs> Slash throughout like the last three weeks as I've been doing Hootie constantly around the house. <clears throat> oh, really? Uh, well, uh, I like Hootie, so I've been doing a lot of Hootie voices. You ready? I, I have one. Ready? Okay. I want to be with you. That's my Hootie and the Blowfish impression. Hootie and the... Hold my hand. Nope, no hoodie fans. Good night, everybody.